Uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 128. We sang it twice. Glorious, because it's a psalm that I find myself meditating on um, over and over. I think on average I sing it like once a day, <laughs> right, babe? Uh, I'm, I'm always singing it. I'm always meditating on it, because it's, I truly see it as a picture, a, a goal that pretty much everybody has, a, a desire that everybody longs for. To be blessed by God in such a way that you're able to see it. You're able to see it through your family. You're able to see it through your children, through your wife, through your work, the, 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 hand, the labor of your hand. You're able to see it in the, in the nation that you live in. You're able to see it even in your grandchildren. It's a beautiful psalm. And so um, before I, I um, jump in, I just want to give a little background. So Psalm 128 is a song of ascent. You see a little title right above, right below um, the heading for this chapter is a song of ascents. And that's one of 15 psalms in the psalm book. They start from Psalm 120 and they go all the way to Psalm 134. And so the tradition is, is that these songs were sung by the men that would go up to Jerusalem to give uh sacrifices, offerings to the Lord three times a year. This is described in Deuteronomy 16. I can read it for you guys. It says this. First, he describes, uh, the Lord describes the, these three feasts, the Passover or, or the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then it says, Three times a year all your males here before your God in the place which he chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So these men will journey to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was set on a hill, and they would see the hills, and they would go, you can imagine, you know, they, they go out to this journey, probably a, I don't know how many days, but they start singing these psalms. These songs of ascent, and that's what ascent means. It literally means to climb, right? It could mean stairs almost. That's why these songs are called pilgrim songs also. They're called songs of degrees. As you're escalating the, the hills, you're, you're, you're going through these psalms singing to the Lord. You can imagine a man walking, walking making this journey by himself. And on the way, he's joined by another and another and as they get closer to the city, there's this roar, this sea of men singing psalms to God. It's a beautiful picture. You kind of get this idea in Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Like We're just anticipating, right? When we want to get there. Verse 3, Jerusalem is built as a city that is together where, there, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There's this anticipation. We want to get there. We, 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 we want to get there, right? You even see that in 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help, right? And you, if you read them, 120 to 134, you see this uh, J- Jerusalem, Zion, 
uh, God's faithfulness to Israel, these are the main themes. And in Psalm 134, the last one, it almost seems like they're there already. It says, Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Like they're, they're telling the servants in the temple, like they're there, right? There are also some theories that in the temple there was like these 15 steps from the lower court to the upper court, and each step they would sing one of these psalms. I don't know about that. It sounds pretty cool, but I don't know if that's true. But even here, we can already see some application. Right? We, we must sing the psalms. God has, has given us a songbook, an inspired songbook. I want to be, be able to see you, man. So I want to. An inspired songbook, right? Excuse me. I think Kevin DeYoung, famous um, Bible teacher, you know, said the most ignored command in all of Scripture is to sing the Psalms, <laughs> right? That's not something we're used to, you know. Uh, but I, I thank God that here at Grace we've been singing the Psalms, you know, at least once every every service. Um, and it's been a, it's been a, something that I've been gr- growing in personally, something that I've been wanting to get more into, right? So we must sing the songs. And, and an even simpler application is we must sing, right? We must be a singing people. God loves to hear his people in song. Not perfectly, right? Not perfectly in pitch or in tune, right? But genuine in spirit. And it really starts with the men, right? To exhort us men here. Uh, here, I, I believe, Grace, we have good men that sing well, right? But if really, if the men would lead in the singing, then women and children will, will follow easily. Amen? Amen, ladies? Amen? Right? Like with anything else. But we live in a culture that ridicules church. It ridicules church singing. The kumbaya jokes have gotten to us, right? Our Christians are just a bunch of people singing kumbaya together. No! And th- this modern Christian music that we hear on the radio, it doesn't help either, right? You know, the, the slap, the kiss, you know, lyrics. If you know, if you know, you know, right? The How He Loves Us, that song. Plus, there's this rampant e- effeminacy in, in churches today. You know, it's just geared towards women, you so I, th- I think that's reasons why men just don't have an interest in going to church. Well, obviously we know that they're sinners, right? They don't love God, but I don't think that helps either. So we need to make singing masculine again. There's a, singing was a true part of being a man, right? We see it in the scriptures. The Psalms are written by men who sing. Jesus and his disciples sung hymns the night he was betrayed. The apostles in jail singing to the Lord. You know, in times of war, soldiers would, would sing after battles, and they would sing songs of triumph and victory if they had won, and ballads and songs of sadness if many were lost. Even pirates would sing, and sailors, the, the, the sea shanties, right? These songs of work, they would work, and they would you know, row, and, and they would sing these songs. And in modern times, we, we have a, a modern masculine worship, which is like you see at the World Cup, right? 
the, the national anthem comes and you hear this roar of men, right? Singing their national anthem and the camera focuses. They're like crying, you know, they're, they're linked arms and they're like swaying their hips a little bit. And they're singing their, their, their patriotic duty to pay homage to their flag. That's because we're built to worship. We're built to worship. And so we must be a singing people. Amen. Amen. But here in Psalm 128, we see a very simple psalm. It's a very beautiful psalm. It is, we can summarize it in the first verse. It's a psalm that describes the man that is blessed by God because he fears him. And he paints a beautiful picture. It's just colorful, right? You read the psalm, you sing the psalm, and you imagine the vine that is fruitful, like the wife that is in the house, and you know, the fruit is abounding around the house. You see the, the, the olive plants around the table. There's, there's beautiful colors and, and imagery in this psalm, right? Describes the life of the blessed man. Describes how his work is blessed. Describes how his wife is blessed. How his children are blessed. How his house is blessed. How his nation is blessed. And even his own grandchildren. And what I see here is really a domino effect of the blessing of God, right? The man is blessed, and because the man is blessed, he will bring that blessing to the home, and his home will be blessed. And if there's a lot of those families, then the whole nation would be blessed. And if a nation is blessed with godly families, with godly men, godly wives, godly children, then generations would be blessed. Your children's children would be blessed. It's a beautiful picture. And so it's kind of providential that, you know, the, the time uh, today and starting late and all, because I'm really just going to go through verse 1. <laughs> because I think it's the foundation for everything else. So my sermon title is A Foundation for Divine bless- Blessing. Foundation for divine blessing. And I really, I know you might say, well, why are you doing only one verse? There's only six verses, right? Well, I feel, I think, that uh, that the preceding verses talk a lot about things that are being attacked today. And they're opportunities to really take our time. And so um, the, the interns will be preaching every other month, once a month, every other month. But really, the, the, it, I will, I will, we're going to take this as like a, uh, a launching pad to talk about these different topics. For example, in verse 2, you see the theology of work, right? When you eat of the labor of your hands, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that and, and, and more a- application for, uh, really for men. In verse 3, you see this theology of the family, right? the theology of the ho- household, right? How a, a, a Christian household should look. So we have the wife as a fruitful vine, the, the, the children, right? And, and these are topics that are attacked today, right? We also see implications of marriage. We see implications of, of, um, of, lots, of uh, lots of things. And in verse 5 and 6, we also see how God blesses a nation, right? 
So I'm experimenting with it. So uh, I appreciate the feedback on, on how it goes. Today, uh, it shouldn't be too long, but uh, we'll do verse 1. So it's really the foundation of divine blessing. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Blessed is this word, esher. And usually the word for to, to bless is the word um, to kneel, literally to kneel, right? Or to worship God, you kneel, you prostrate yourself to God, or to kneel and receiving from God, right? But here the word is esher, meaning happiness. And it's really a word that's used as, as interjection to, to describe a feeling, describe a state of something. So happy is the man, we could say. Even the word in, in Spanish is, you're going to learn some Spanish today. Shout out to the Spanish community group. Is bienaventurado. Bienaventurado. It's, two, it's a compound word, word in Latin. It's bien, which means, come on, you live in San Diego. What does that mean? Bien means what? Good. Aventurado is, the root word is aventura from Latin, which means adventure. Sounds like adventure, right? Or journey. Or it can mean, literally, aventura in Latin means things that are to come. And so, good things that are to come. Good fortune, in other words. So, the man that fears the Lord has good things to come. Does that make sense? It's not just a, a happiness, um, you know, a superficial happiness, you know, like when my when I take my kids out for ice cream, like, Dad, I'm so happy, right? And then uh, they don't get the, the ice cream that they, don't, they, they want is out of stock, you know, and they start, you know, being unhappy, right? <laughs> this is a, a, a tangible happiness, in other words. It's going well with the man who fears the Lord. It's interesting that God would want to bless us. Why? Why would God want to bless me and you? And we can talk about blessing in the spiritual sense, right? And that's a very genuine way of blessing. We just read in Ephesians 1. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing, right? How he predestined us. He loved us, right? He, he, he has placed us in the, in, the, in the heavenly places, right? He, he has adopted us. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. But a lot of these blessings you can't really touch. You can really uh, you can only pro- perhaps remember they're, they're, they're cognitive, they're spiritual, right? They're immaterial. But I think the blessing of God, as we see in this psalm, goes beyond that, right? It's not merely spiritual, and it's not anything less than spiritual, but it goes beyond to the labor of your hands. It goes beyond to how your relationships work within your home. We live in a, I think we live in a, in a culture Christian culture that elevates spirituality to the point where we forget about the physical world, right? This kind of, uh, I, th- I think I've talked about this before, and some of the men that I listen to really, really talk about this, uh, called uh, Christian Gnosticism, right? So Gnosticism was a, a heresy in the, in the early church that basically said the immaterial or the, the spiritual of the world is good. And the material, or the physical, is evil. It's bad, right? And so uh, 
we can read this this psalm in the in a Christian in a modern Christian culture cultural sense, and we can say, yeah, well, not everybody has that, right? Or we may, that's not impo- that's not as important as you know having your quiet time. You know, we elevate spiritual things more than physical, right? And I think. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, that there's a, there's a benefit to physical uh, exercise, right? And we take that as, it doesn't matter. No, he says, there is benefit, right? There is a true benefit, right? And we do live in a physical world, and God does give physical blessings. And we've been, even think of the prosperity gospel, right? We, we automatically want to push against that, you know? No, like, you're, you're talking like Kenneth Copeland. You're talking like Creflo Dollar, you know? Where... They elevate the physical or they elevate the gift in place of the giver, right? But if there is a proper order, as we saw in Deuteronomy, if you obey my commands, you'll be blessed. How? Even your kneading bowl will be blessed. <laughs> Think about that. I didn't know what a kneading bowl until my wife started making bread, right? And, and I, I, even, I read it this week and I'm like, even the, the kneading bowl? Like, that's what it's talking about? Yes, even the kneading bowl. God cares about that. God cares about blessing that kind of stuff in your life. Isn't that beautiful? We also see throughout this, throughout the, the, the Old and New Testament how God has always blessed. We've been going through uh, Genesis and in, in creation, uh, you see God blessed the fifth, the, in the fifth day the fish and the birds. He blessed them. God blessed on the sixth day. He blessed man, be fruitful and multiply, right? He, he even blessed the seventh day, right? He called it holy, the Sabbath. He blesses Noah after the ark. He blesses Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 12. I'll read it for you. And And, and this is like, He's trying to make a point here in Genesis 12, right? Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make, you great, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This Blessing upon blessing and the blessing, 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 blessing. This is grace. Who is Abraham to deserve? The, this, the psalmist says, who, am I, who is man, O Lord? You should be mindful of him. He blesses Isaac. He blesses Jacob. Joseph is blessed. Even as a slave, the, the Bible says that everything he did, the Lord caused him to prosper in everything that he did. Think of Israel, how even in slavery, they were blessed. They multiplied like crazy, right? God blessed them. And we saw in Deuteronomy 28, those, those lists of blessings that if you obey my commandments, you will be blessed this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. And we get to the New Testament. And keep in mind, this whole time, the whole world is cursed because of sin and because we, we, we love our sin and we hate the light and love the darkness we were talking about in in the youth group. But Jesus comes and becomes that curse. He becomes that very curse that we might become blessed. 
And now in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing, right? In Christ, uh, the, 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 the apostle says in Romans 8, how shall, if, he, if he did not spare his own son, how shall he not give us what? All things. All things are yours. All things are yours in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful reality. Even think of your life. How has God blessed you? How has God blessed you? Count, you know, the people say, count your blessings, right? But how easily do we forget to do that? So to be blessed, ultimately, is to be in Christ. To be happy, genuinely happy, is to know Jesus. But how often do we forget that? And if you're anything like me, you need to hear this over and over again. You forget that you've been blessed. You forget that your sins have been forgiven. You forget that you've been destined, that you've been adopted, that you've been loved. You forget how weak, frail we are. But yet God, the scripture says, he remembers that we are dust. Right? And he continues to bless us. And even, it's so easy to look around, or... um, Turning to Psalm 128. It's so easy to look around and think about what you don't have, right? Forgetting all the things that you do, right? Perhaps you, even reading this psalm, um, you, you, might, you, you might think, well, I don't, I don't have that, you know? I don't, I don't have a wife or I don't have children yet, you know? And there, there could be like this, like, like you know, uh, I'm missing out, you know. But who is the man that is blessed? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. It doesn't say blessed is everyone who has all these things. It says the one who fears the Lord is blessed. And so, I just realized I haven't even read it. <laughs> Let's read it. Let's read it together. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem. All the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is so rich. Thank you, Father, because you promised to bless us if we would fear you and obey you. And as we talk about what that means, I pray you would open our minds. I pray, Father, you would help us understand that. And Lord, may we long for. Um, um, Psalm 128 to see it in our lives and the lives of our church and the the families of our church Lord and in our nation as well Um, continue to bless us as we continue to see uh, these glorious truths in your word Father in Jesus name Amen Amen. sorry about that so um, we see that the one that is blessed is the one that fears the Lord who walks in his ways it says blessed is everyone Everyone. Now, who is everyone, right? Um, Is it just talking about Israel, right? 
Is it just talking about men, right? Because it says, talks about his wife. So what? The wives aren't blessed, only the men, right? It's everyone who fears the Lord. Who fears the Lord. And is, does this just apply to Israel? I don't think so, right? We are a Reformed Baptist church, and we have distinctives. We don't hold to this separation, hard separation between Israel and the church, right? We believe that Israel is a type of church, right? And Israel was always invited to be a part of the true church, the people of God. But, um, you know, it was always those who feared God that was true Israel. And we see that in Romans 9. Not all Israel was true Israel. Only those that are sons of the promise, right? And then in Galatians 4, you, you see, uh, if you're a son of of uh if you, be, if you have faith in Christ, then you're a seed of Abraham, right? You are an Israelite by faith. A true Israelite fears the Lord. So I, I do believe the Psalms and the Old Testament applies to the New Testament church. And so it's everyone who fears the Lord. But it is conditional, right? It is conditional to those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. So let's talk about what is the fear of the Lord. And, and by the way, some of the things I'll, I'll be saying comes out from this book, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord by Michael Reeves. It's a great book. I'll leave it out in the, uh, the table we have in the back if anybody's interested. It's a short book. It's really short and sweet and it's good. What does it mean to fear the Lord? I, I grew up kind of being really confused <laughs> By this term. Has anybody felt confusion over this term, fear of God? What what is the fear of God, fear of the Lord? Right? We have we have verses like first John four eighteen uh that really uh add to the confusion if if we're not careful, right? It says this there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, right? So I was like, okay, so it says I shouldn't fear. Christ came to deliver us from fear, but I'm commanded to fear the Lord. Seems like a contradiction even if we take this word blessed to mean happy. Happy is the one who fears, right? And, and have you ever, I mean, that's, I mean, think of all the phobias that we have today. Probably the phobias some of you have. I don't, I don't think you're happy thinking about those things or, or experiencing that type of fear. Seems like a contradiction, but it's really not, okay? But I think first we have to recognize that we live in a culture of fear. And if something that showed us that was uh, a few years ago with COVID, right? There's this, this pandemic, this emergency, that, uh, and everybody just freaks out, right? Everybody says they have the fear that we, they won't have any more toilet paper, right? And so they buy up all the toilet paper. And they buy up everything and they want to stock up their house and, and there's a fear of going to church and a fear of singing and you have to wear a mask if you're going to sing and the fear of taking the Lord's Supper and a fear of shaking hands. There's a fear of dying, a fear of cancer. There's fear of school shootings, climate change even. You know, all these, everything is fear, right? should be very afraid of this world. The world is a dangerous place. It's almost what is being told to us. And some of these are legitimate. You should be fearful if your, your, your child goes to school and 
You know, it's, it's a crazy time, right? That is genuinely, you should be concerned about the safety of your family and your, and your children. But the reason that our culture is becoming more and more, what's the word, um, neurotic, right? Does that make sense? Neurotic, very anxious. Is because we've lost our proper and healthy fear of God. The, the, a healthy fear, a proper fear of God will help us control other fears and anxieties. Right? Isn't that what the psalmist says in Psalm 27? <clears throat> in Psalm 27, he says, um, this just came to me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right? This, this proper fear of God makes us control our other anxieties, our other worries. And so, um, there is a right type of fear of God. And there is a sinful fear of God. And this is, again, in, um, Michael Reeves does an excellent job just making it so easy to understand. Um, so, um, uh, turn with me to Exodus 20. Let's see an example uh, where these two fears are contrasted. Exodus chapter 20, God had just given the Ten Commandments to the people, right? And there's this scene, right, where there's Mount Sinai, and we start in verse 18. Exodus 20, 18, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunder, the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak, let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. See that? It's the same word, fear. Don't, be, don't fear, but because his fear is going to come, <laughs> right? So obviously, he's using it in two different ways. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of God. We are not to be afraid of God. And that is contrasted with a healthy fear of God. So a, a sinful fear would, think of Adam and Eve when they sin, they, what do they do? They hide from God. They're afraid of what God might do to them, what God might say to them. Right? You think of in history Martin Luther, right? This fear of God's holiness that he had, that it drove him away from God and made him look inward. Self-righteousness, his works, and do, do, do. And he would try to um, please God in that way. Right? So when you think sinful fear, though, the wrong type of fear is fear that drives you away from God. Being afraid, terrified of God. Right? That's kind of how I was taught, you know, growing up. Well, fear of God means like you're literally scared of Him. You're literally afraid of Him, you know. Uh, but then we sing, uh, you know, we sing songs about, you know, love and, you know, we're His children. And so I would be a little confused there because, you know, um, you know, I, I would just think, you know, how can a child be afraid of his own father, you know, unless he's a bad father, amen? But 
this sinful fear is, is that. It's, it's the, the fear that sin produces, we could say. Right? We sin and we, we want to hide our sin. We want to go away from our God. And a right fear is, we could say, is the fear that keeps us from turning away from Him. Right? It's a, it's a fear that leans, uh, leans us toward the Lord. And that's described in Jeremiah 32. It's, it's really described everywhere. But uh, in Jeremiah 32, if you would want to join me, is in chapter 32, it talks about the new covenant. 32, 38. It says this, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then I will give them one heart, And one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and their children. Right? Then verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, so that they will not depart from me. The fear of God will come into their hearts, and they won't run away. They'll not run away, right? That's the type, healthy type of fear. And it even says there, my fear will be there forever in them. Think of heaven, we'll have fear of God. But it's not like, again, we're going to be trying to find crevices in in heaven, trying to hide from him. No, that fear of God is going to make us sing to him, make us want to gaze at him all the more. So when you think of fear, think, a trembling awe, a, a, a love for God, right? Just, just how a, a, a bridegroom trembles, right, in his wedding day when he sees his, his bride. There's a real, like a fear there, like a, a, a real, a, a holy moment we can say. There's this, there's an awe there. That's kind of the idea that a right fear is. It's interesting that, I wish I had time to go through this more, but fear and love in, throughout the Bible go hand in hand, right? E- even uh, fear and joy go hand in hand, right? Think of uh, uh, Philippians when, when Paul says, uh, work out your salvation in what? Fear and trembling, right? And in that very same epistle, he says, rejoice. I say, rejoice, Right? And even people call it the epistle of joy, right? Philippians. So fear and joy, fear and love go together, and they're not, it's not an oxymoron. If anything, it intensifies our joy. It intensifies our love. It's a trembling awe, a trembling wonder of our God, right? You think of our, just our country, how it's, strayed from a right fear of God. Just go back 50 years, right? And think of uh, um, the passing of Roe v. Wade, right? Millions and millions and millions of babies dying, uh, um, dead because of abortion. Think of no-fault divorce, right, with Reagan. And, and just, you know, you want to get divorced? No questions asked, get divorced. Before, you couldn't do that. Think about that. Legal, legalizing gay marriage, right? 
And now uh, mutilating, now being legal to mutilate the, the bodies of our own children without the parents' consent. You think it's just a downward spiral, right? There's no fear of God. Well, what about you? Do you have a healthy fear of God? You hide your sin. Are you afraid of God? And, and like Adam and Eve, where whenever you sin, you just you want to go to your corner and fix it yourself. And when you're all fixed, you, you want to come back. Do you live in trembling awe of your Creator? And all of us are called to fear God. All of us, right? Men, women, and children. The woman in Proverbs 31 says, uh, says about her that what? Uh, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who what? Fears the Lord is truly to be praised. Children are supposed to be uh, um, brought up in the what? The fear and admonition of the Lord. We're all called to fear God. And really, fearing God is just being a Christian. That's all I'm saying. That's what it means. So how do you know if you fear God? Well, lastly, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Who walks in His ways. A trembling awe and love for God will produce an obedient life. And it's not a burden, right? If anything, it's a delight. Look what Psalm 1 one uh, twelve says, Psalm one twelve. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. If you read the Psalm, the hundred and nineteenth Psalm, that's all he's saying. This I delight in your word. I delight in your law. It's the meditation of my heart. Do you delight? in walking in the ways of God, the ways of the Lord. That's a true fruit of the fear of God. It would produce an obedient life. No, not perfectly, right? The righteous man does fall. But what is the righteous man and the wicked man fall? But what does the righteous man do? He gets back up. He falls seven times, he gets back up seven times. That's what is the difference. So the righteous it's not he doesn't fall, he does fall. He's at times he finds himself stumbling, but he gets back up. Right? Jesus said, if famous words from Jesus, if if you love me, obey my commandments. Right? Try to teach that to my children, right? They'll tell me, you know, Daddy, I love you. But they 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 see that only as a love has love has strings attached. God does God love us unconditionally? Well, yes, in a way, but also, in a way, we must, we will show our love for God, just how we will show our love for our spouse or our love for our children or our, your, you children. You show your love to your parents by obeying them. Sometimes you might not understand why your parents tell you things, but you obey them because why? You love them. You want to show respect. You want to show that you honor them. And that is exactly this idea who walk in his ways. So this delighting in the law of God, right? This is all over the Psalms. Psalm 1, Psalm 119. It's all over. Delighting 
in his law, walking in his ways. And do you know that you're able to do that? You might say, I'm not able to walk in his way. I can't do it. I can't do it. That's not true. Look at, listen to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the church. In verse 9, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? Why should I be filled with the knowledge of his will in this in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, Paul. Why? What does it say? That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's available to you. You can be filled right now but but just simply, God, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Give me wisdom and understanding because I want to walk worthy of you. I want to walk in your ways. I want to fear you. Fear you in everything that I do. And so fearing God is not just a, a simple phrase. It's not something you can just say and, and, and not live out. Fearing God is walking in his ways. Obedience. Now we're not saved by works, right? But James chapter 2 is very clear that our faith produces genuine works. Our faith is evidenced by works, by obedience. A faith without works is cheap. A grace that, that, that comes and it doesn't produce any change in you is cheap. It doesn't cost anything. It costs the very precious blood of Christ that you might walk in His ways, that you might live as He lived. You might look like Him. You might be conformed to His image. And that's something that I feel like we need to hear constantly. Right? And so, to end, um, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. And I, I see this idea very um, um, played out in Ecclesiastes. You can turn there and we'll end there. Ecclesiastes, the preacher, the preacher writes, King Solomon, right, a wonderful, wonderful um, book of poetry and wisdom. I don't know why I'm lost. There it is. So Ecclesiastes, we have this treatise, this, this almost like a scholarly work of a king, a wise king. And he's, he starts off um, talking about everything is vain. And you really read the, the book of Ecclesiastes and it's, it's almost like depressing, right? Uh, because it, it's just like he's talking about these good gifts from God, work, food, and 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 feeling fulfilled and and the the companionship of 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 a spouse or you know and and how two is better than one and, and a three chord bond and but he's like yeah it's all vain yeah he'll get you up and you're like oh yeah that sounds really cool yeah but it's all vanity you know it's useless you know 
It's all vanity. But then towards the end, he starts to change his idea. Look at chapter 11, verse 9. He says, rejoice. Rejoice, Solomon. You've been telling me everything's vain. You're going to tell me rejoicing is vain too. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. (laughs) He got me again. He got me again, right? It's all vanity. Verse 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Oh, here we go again. Before the difficult days come, the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them while the sun and the light. <laughs> Think of how depressing that is. Rejoice while it lasts because before the days come, you're going to say, I have no pleasure in this. Like, it's all vain. Remember while you're young. And then towards the end, I'll end with this. Verse 9, chapter 12. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And it's that beacon of hope he gives at the end. It's not vain if you fear God. It's not vain if you seek to please him. It's not useless if you seek to please God. That's why we're commanded in the New Testament, whether you eat, sleep, and drink, do it all for the glory of God. That's how things are not wasted. That's how things are not useless. You can eat to the glory of God. You can sleep to the glory of God. Think about that. That's for this is man's all. Fear God. Keep his commandments. So the man that fears God, the man that walks in his ways is the blessed man or woman. And so next time, I hope to really flesh that out. What does that look like? And Psalm 120, uh, it gives us a, a really good picture of what that is. Let's pray.